if you're new here and you're thinking there's a bucket of there's a big horse trough of water and the pastor's got a paddle, I get it. It's confusing. Just bear with us. Hopefully, it'll all make sense. And uh, how do I make this thing go away? Um, yeah. So uh, we're glad that we're glad that you came, and this will make sense in a little bit. Let me tell you something about my mower. It annoys me. Um, I like it. It's a Toro zero turn. I really liked it when I first got it until it started breaking all the time. And I mean, like, the battery doesn't work, and then belts are, like, flying off, and then the thing doesn't work. You know, it doesn't start. It gets annoying uh, regularly like it did a handful of days ago. I go to mow my yard because it's like, you know, you're going to get a letter in the mail from, like, the rest of the neighbors if it gets much taller. And I go to start the mower, and uh, key in, and all of a sudden, but no vroom, you know. So I'm thinking, what's wrong? Is the battery dead? And I thought, I saw this, you know. So I had Jenny drive the car around, and I thought, 550 cold cranking amps will solve this little problem. So throw on a big battery to a little tiny battery, and I'm like, watch this, you know. And I put the thing in it, nothing. I'm like, that is so annoying. I know I have enough power. What's going on? I couldn't solve it, and I was frustrated by the mower. It was like a day later, and I thought, I wonder if the contact's bad. So you don't have to be super technical. Look, there's a battery, there's a positive lead. And I looked at that where the wire takes power off the battery and it's all corroded. It's all junk all over. And I thought, undid it with my socket, cleaned it up with sandpaper, got it super smooth. The contact is clean. And all of a sudden put that contact up against that battery, sat back on that seat and boom. And I was in business. I was back to mowing. And here's the reality. I had the power the whole time to start the mower. I had all the power. It was right there to turn that engine. I just had a bad connection. And I couldn't use that power to do what I wanted to do. And I thought to myself, as I just got off my dumb mower and mowed my grass, what a great story, but maybe a sad story that describes a lot of Christians. We have all the power available to us and yet have a bad connection. All the power to walk with God in the fullness of his spirit and we sit down the driver's seat of our life and we don't have his energy. And then we come to a passage like ours today, which honestly is so refreshing and so powerful because though for three chapters, Ephesians was all about this great calling we have from God and the last three chapters are all about how we're to live it out, calling moves to our conduct. Right here in chapter five, we are gonna see a verse that is the key to how to do it all. Really the key to connecting the power of God to our lives. And I can't wait to show it to you. So if you've got a Bible, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we are at this morning. I'm going to move a little quicker through the first part to then camp in the second part of it. Let me start in Ephesians 5 verse 8. It says this, Paul writes, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All right, back to verse 8. It starts 
in Paul's mid-thought, you can listen to the message the week before, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Once again, Paul is telling them, you used to live like that. And there are people, godless people, who are literally on their way to destruction. And he's like, don't partner with them. You were once like that, but now you're not anymore. And once again, God gives us new identity. Now notice, he doesn't say you used to just walk around in darkness, which would be another way of saying you used to live in, in, in paths that were wrong or immoral or evil. He goes stronger than that. You were darkness. Not just you lived in darkness. No, you were darkness. But God has changed your identity. And this happens when someone puts their faith in Christ. Even though their behavior might not be all of what Jesus wants them to be, he immediately says, you're light. Now begin to live it out. Begin to live it out. You were darkness. Now live as children of the light. Jesus himself says, I'm the light of the world. To those who followed him, he says, you are now light in the world. Live it out. And part of living it out is found in verse 10 where he says, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Testing, it can mean discerning or examining what is pleasing to God. And interestingly, we all do this in relationships. We find out what they like and then we learn and we change our preferences and we find ourselves wanting to please the people that we have a relationship with. So for example, any smart guy, if he is starting to date some gal, he's gonna find out what kind of movie she likes. And if all of a sudden she's falling asleep when he's got Avengers on, try a rom-com. Because all of a sudden she might light up and like that. And you got it, okay, so turn your stuff off and learn what is pleasing to her. I've had to learn about my wife, what's pleasing to her. It's not even movies so much. She wants to do trivia. Like you just ask random questions about the whole world. Questions that I tell her are trivial, but it, to her, they mean something. And just do trivia nonstop. That pleases her. For me, it's not trivia. It's not words of love or whatever. It's just like physical affection. Hug me, like rub my hair. I'm basically a big dog, you know? So Jenny has found out, oh, <laughs> that just keeps him happy. Like find out, <laughs> find out what pleases them, learn, and then do what pleases them. Now listen, back to Jesus. Here's the thing. Your relationship with Jesus is, wait for it, a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship where you can learn also what pleases him. Now, the Bible is going to be your book. It's going to show you, oh, this is, what, this is what delights him. This is what he's against. This is what he wants you to be about. That's what he's not about. Find out what pleases the Lord and then give yourself to that. He might challenge you to do things that at first don't please you. I'm telling you, though, in time, it'll win your heart, and you will find the very things he's calling you to is what brings you joy because he was fully living out the life God intended, and we step into that. Find out what pleases the Lord, and it says, verse 11, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Guys, God is saying, you're light. Get out of the darkness. Get out of the darkness. Is there anything you're doing, you're watching on TV, you're, you know, just evil pathways that you're on? God's saying, be done with that. Expose that for what it is. Let the light of your life expose that for what it is. It's shameful to even to talk about what the disobedient do in secret. He'll go on to say this. Pay careful attention then 
as to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will. He's like, pay careful attention then how you walk. He's saying, redeem the time. Be careful with the time. Redeem it. Make use of it because the days are evil. Look, the devil wants to keep you in the shadows of darkness and shame. He wants to keep you really quiet about what you're failing in. God's saying, get out of the darkness. Step into the light. Because the devil loves secrets and shadows, but you are light in the Lord. Right now, you are light. So come out of the shadows. Confess your sins one to another. Let's be honest. Let's be open. I love the culture that's created where people can just go, I'm just going to go there. I'm going to say, this is holding me down. And we learn to walk in the light together. We need each other. And as we walk in the light, we're called to make the most of the time because the days are evil. It's like, look, you only have so much time to spend. And every day you, 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 you play a chip, you know, but you just don't know when you're going to reach back and not have another one. You might have different amounts of money. You might live in different size apartments or houses and drive different cars. No one has any more time than the next person. And each day we invest one. How are we doing? Make the most of it. I've been challenged recently, even in the last couple of months, like, how do I make the most of the time? Like, I'm trying to pursue God and read my Bible. I try and do that most mornings and pray. And just recently, I've started, like, inviting some people over. Like, come on over and read with me, <laughs> you know? Because they've asked that. Like, how do you read the Bible? How do you pray? I'm like, just, there's no magic to it. Like, come on over. Join me. I'll brew some coffee at this time. I'll even make breakfast for you. Come on over. Let's seek God together. You might be someone who likes to watch football. I know I do. Jenny's not going to watch. But you know what? She'll get into it if it's a documentary. That's what I learned. So, so sometimes I work that angle. But if you, maybe you don't watch football, maybe you do. Maybe you're like me. Well, it's an opportunity to invite lost people into your life. Um, this, this one neighbor, so random, uh, he comes walking the road. Ellie's like, Dad, this guy wants to talk to you. He seems really upset. He comes up to me and he's like, there's a deer dying in my front yard. I'm like, no way. What a fun way to start. Not a fun way, but like, who, when does this ever happen? He's like, he's been dying all day. And he was so upset and they didn't call him. And I'm like, dude, and I go in my house and I grab a knife and I'm like, I'm going to slit its throat, you know, like I'm going to put it out of his misery, you know, and, and he's like, and, he, and Ellie's like, dad, you don't think through things ahead of time. A, a cop came and dealt with it, but like, I'm just meeting this guy. This is just, my life gets random a little bit at times, but like I'm meeting this neighbor and afterwards he's so grateful. And I'm like, do you watch football? You know, it's like, so he's coming over to watch football. Like, I'm just saying, Make the most of the time. I'm trying to think creatively about how to use time. You do the same thing too. Walk people into your relationship with God and let them walk with you. Use your time. Use it carefully. Make the most of it. Paul's challenging him to do that. And then he turns a corner. He turns a corner and he says this. Look at verse 18 to 21. We're going to spend most of our time here. He says, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now look, 518, we're just going to camp out here for a second because it's in this verse that we recognize how to live the life that God's calling us to. The first part's a negative. Don't get drunk with wine. Makes sense, which leads to reckless living. That's simple enough. The, the Bible doesn't condemn drinking. It condemns drunkenness. That makes sense. It doesn't condemn coffee, but look, 
if you need a whole pot in the morning or you're going to shake, like, you're addicted, okay? I mean, it's like, good things are great. Enjoy desserts. You don't need to eat the whole pie. Like, God's all about joy, against gluttony, against addiction, against reckless living. He's saying, don't get drunk with wine. It leads to reckless living. I, my heart's broken when I meet with people who know what it's like to have people in the family who have been controlled by alcohol. But he then positively says, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. Wine, given enough of it and its controlling influence, can lead to godlessness, but you instead are to be filled by the Spirit, and that leads to something. And we're going to see it. There's four different things it's going to lead to. Like, we're going to see that in just a moment. But before we see it, I just want to look at the second half of that command, be filled with the Spirit, and make four observations about that verb, be filled. First off, it's a command, not a suggestion. It's a command from God. Don't get drunk is a command. It's a negative, like don't do this. But here's a positive command for every Christian. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command, not a suggestion. Two, it's a command for all Christians, not an elite few. You might go, oh, well, you know, some people are like way up there. They're like SEAL Team 6 of the like spiritual like missions. They're just like, no, God's saying to all Christians, all of you, are to be filled by the Spirit. That's a command for all of us. Third thing, it's a command for all time, not one time. Here's what I mean. Be filled. That word, at one time Jesus was like doing a miracle, fill these pots with water. That's a one-time command. This is different. It's not a one-time thing. It's a constant command. Be baptized. That's a one-time command. We'll see people take that step today. This is a constant one. It's in the tense of the verb that says moment by moment. Just because you were filled by the Spirit yesterday has no influence that you will be tomorrow. It's a continual command that needs to be obeyed all the time, morning, afternoon, evening, and all the time in between. Be constantly filled by the Spirit of God. Okay, I'm just, we're just walking through it. And the command is something not that we do for God, but something God does for us. Did you see that? It's not an active command. It's a passive one. It, it, it is not fill yourself with the Spirit of God. It's actually be filled. It's, it's, it's like my phone. It isn't charge yourself. It, my phone is on charge. My phone is being charged. You just plug it in. It receives energy that's not in it. That's what God's getting at here, Okay. Be filled is not something we do for God. It's something God does for us. Now, I want to just zoom out for a second here because there's a lot of confusion on this. We've even had to confront some false teaching in our church uh, a while back about this. A lot of confusion about this. Some people are so afraid of what this could mean, the Holy Spirit, that they're like, oh, man, I'm just staying away from all that. For them, the Trinity is simple. Father, Son, and Holy Bible. <laughs> I mean, they've just written the Holy Spirit right out of it. Because they saw something on YouTube, and they want to stay away from that. I mean, people can get crazy and start clucking and barking in the spirit and do all kinds of things, and they're like, you know what? I don't want any of that. So Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Bible. The Bible says the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the member of God that comes in and dwells the believer. And he might throw people off at first because he's holy, and well, we're not all the time, and he's a spirit, and I'm a person. I get it that it might seem a little harder to understand. 
But God's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And so we need to understand the person of the Holy Spirit. Number one, he comes to live in our lives at the point of conversion. We're going to celebrate lots of stories of people who've recently gave their lives to Christ. The moment they put their trust in Jesus or you put your trust in Jesus, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in our life. It's a one-time thing. He doesn't leave and head out the back door. You don't get in the family, then get kicked out of the family. He is in your life. We are sealed, Ephesians 1.13 says, by the Holy Spirit. Sealed until the day we go to be with him in heaven. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. And Jordan taught a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 4.30 that we can grieve the Holy Spirit in the same way that maybe a child can grieve a mom or dad by their behavior. Like we can do things that grieve him. Again, he doesn't leave, but we can grieve him the same way we can grieve one another. That makes sense. For us Thessalonians, we'll say that we can quench the Spirit or literally like water put out the fire. Like he's trying to do something and we're like, like we can do those things. He's a person in us. But notice this that be filled with the Spirit doesn't mean get more of Him because it's not necessarily that. We have all of Him. You can't get more of Him, but listen, He can get more of you. He can be more in the driver's seat, more in that controlling, influential way in your life than maybe He has been in the past. John MacArthur helped me to understand this verb, be filled, pluro, this Greek term. It means a few things. I just want to key in on maybe one of them. The first is, power. Where does your power to live come from? I said I couldn't start my mower. It had all the power in it. I just had a bad connection. And once I got the connection, all of a sudden I had power to start the mower. I'm saying, where does your power come from? The word pluro, this idea of be filled, was used of sailboats. Okay, back in the day, sailboats. I got a picture of a sailboat up here. Now, if you were going to jump on that sailboat, if you're one of those people and you're going to jump on, you're like, you know what? Let's do the Mayflower backwards. I'm going to get on that boat, and I'm heading back. Heading back to wherever my people came from. Like, I'm just heading the other direction. Like, maybe that's you, and you want to get on that boat. Now, there's a number of ways you could do it. But if you get on that boat, and you went, you know what? I know. I'm on the boat. I got my little paddle. Here we go. Ready? And then you just start, you start rowing. You start rowing with all your strength. You may never get away from that dock. Maybe you get out into the harbor, but I fear that you just be doing the wrong thing. And the reality is, sometimes we think of our Christian experience like being on that boat. And we think, I got to do it. Jesus did everything to save me. From now on, good luck. It's up to me. And I try and live the Christian experience in my own strength. And I'm trying to get myself across the Atlantic with a paddle. And I'm rowing, rowing, rowing. And I'm trying to be pure. I really am. But I have all kinds of temptations. So you know what? I better try harder, try harder, row harder, and be done with my purity. And I'm supposed to read the Bible? Oh, my word, I've got so much going on in my life. How much earlier do I have to get up? I'm exhausted. But you know what? I'm going to keep trying because I want to please God, and I want to please you, and I want to make my connection group happy. And what else do I have to do? i got to honor my parents. Do you know how hard it is to honor them? Well, suck it up. Try harder. Dig deep. Oh, So I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, even though my heart's breaking. I have no strength. I'm out of energy. I need to walk in purity. I feel awful about my failure. But you know what? I'll try harder. I'll try harder. I'll try harder. What? I got to give money also? I barely have. I don't even know what to do. Okay, fine. It doesn't feel. I'm trying. I'm trying. And you look exhausted. You're just worn out. Through the Spirit, it's supposed to be love, joy, peace, patience, kind, goodness. 
doesn't look like that in your life. In fact, you're frustrated about the whole thing. You're exhausted. It feels overwhelming. It's just too much. And you go, man, I'm just, I'm just done. Wouldn't it be easier if you got on the boat and instead of grabbing your paddle and trying your best, you just pulled up the sails? Like, wouldn't that be easier? <laughs> if you just, all you're trying was to pull the sail up and then whoosh, you don't need to generate the strength from within. God is powerful and he is blowing all we need to do. And it's a picture of this verb that was used in the day was hoist the sails and capture the strength that God has for us. He will move you along. He will control you. He will empower you. He will direct you. He alone has the strength. I'm telling you, my mower had a battery that would have gotten it done. I said a bad connection. We need to know how to connect with the fullness of the power of God that's in us through his spirit to live the life that he's calling us to live. Look, the secret of the spiritual life is a spirit-filled life. It's not try harder. It's find his strength. So God is calling us to live in his power, in his control. And when we say, look, when someone is controlled by alcohol, if they got pulled over, they'd get a DUI driving under the influence. God's saying, I want you to live life under the influence and under the power of my spirit. What would it look like? Look, this verse, I'm going to jump back to 518 through 21. It's, it's kind of a cool like lesson on just the scriptures. There's the command, be filled with the spirit. And then there's four ING words. They're called participles. Here's Paul going, it's not an exhaustive list, but here's Paul going, hey, here's four things of uh, uh, what it looks like if someone's truly filled with the spirit. Here it is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the spirit. And, and here's some of what that looks like. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Here's another one singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Here's another one. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another one. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Look, in, in this verse, the spirit-filled life has four expressions. It's not limited to that. In fact, if you keep coming back, you're going to look at what a spirit-filled life looks like in a marriage relationship. That's coming up in just a couple weeks. A husband and a wife, what a spirit-filled life looks like in a family relationship with children and parents, what a spiritual life looks like in a working relationship with like employers and employees. Like this is all supposed to be lived out of the power of the spirit. Here he starts here and he goes speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now that threw me off at first. I'm like speaking in songs? How do I do that? And then it says speaking in psalms. And I'm like, oh, I got psalms in my Bible. I go right to my psalms. Is this like I just go... Hey, Alejandro, I, just, I guess I'm supposed to just read this to you. You know, so here we go. Uh, speak this to you. And then I go, oh, hymns. Oh, I don't have a hymnal. Uh, I better go raid a church that has those still. You know, and maybe I'm supposed to say those. Well, guys, I just had it wrong. Probably what's meant, it could mean the Psalms. The Psalms that were used as Israel's not just prayer book, but it turned into a worship service. I mean, they put a lot of these to music. So, so, so maybe speaking the words of the scriptures, or, or it could be that hymns are just spiritual songs. It's like songs that we sing right now that are based on scriptures that people artistically created songs around. That could be what's meant with hymns. And then spiritual songs, literally the differentiation there could be that they're 
unwritten, unprompted, like in the moment, the Spirit of God helps people sing a song, like create, like slam poetry or something like that. It's like all of a sudden, boom, there's a song. Like it's hard to differentiate between these three words exactly what where one begins and one ends. But the Bible says that one aspect of a spirit-filled life is this, that we're constantly like speaking God's word over each other. And that that shows up in a worship service. And you think, wait a second, singing or speaking, it might be this, that in the midst of singing, in the midst of our worship, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, in the midst of that, it is like we're speaking truth over one another. We're hearing God's word. Haven't you ever, like me, sometimes been in the crowd and someone is up here leading in worship and as they just sing these truths over God, I'm just like, oh, that's so what I needed to hear. It's like someone's speaking truth over me even as they're singing worship songs. It's like ministering to my soul. Do you know that within 20 minutes or so, people are gonna get baptized and while they're going down into the water, we will be singing worship, singing truth over the life. Paul says, look, the spirit-filled life not only looks like something, it sounds like something. It sounds like worship. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and, and some of those songs are more horizontal, meaning they're declaring the goodness of God. Come, let's shout joyfully to the Lord, or let's enter his presence with thanksgiving. That, I think, is in view. And then he shifts and he goes, another aspect is a vertical worship. Look at this, this second one singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Singing, we got that, that's singing. Okay, making music perhaps is bringing in instruments into that. Now we're singing, we're making music with your heart to the Lord. About a third of our service is probably worship on any given Sunday, about that. But notice it says with your heart. It's not just in my brain. It's not just cognitive. It's like enjoying God was supposed to be something so filled with affection and emotion. You can't just say it. You're going to sing it. It's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be joyful. It's going to have emotion to it. It comes from the heart. You do it with your heart. Now, with my heart, I was cheering and booing during a game yesterday. Like I get animated even when I'm alone, you know, is your worship of God delightful, enjoyable, passionate, engaging? Or do you do that thing that we all do it sometimes where we try and pretend we're not yawning when we really are? Does, don't people look weird when they do that? Even though I'm trying to do it, like, oh, they won't see that. Everyone saw it. Like, I think sometimes people's worship, it looks like you're bored. Maybe your heart's not engaged. God's saying, your heart ought to be engaged, singing with all your heart, and you're singing to the Lord. By the way, it's to the Lord. Singing and worship is supposed to be to the Lord, not to each other. We're not trying to impress the people next to us. I'm actually glad that the volume is normally so loud in here that I can't distract you. <laughs> My voice won't throw you off. In fact, I don't have to be self-conscious about you going, what is that guy? You know, like, I can just sing to the Lord. To the Lord, it's vertical. But there's more. A spirit-filled life also looks like giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for everything. Do you give thanks for the bad things that happen as well as the good? Always for everything. Do you give thanks not just for the good professors you get, but the bad ones also? Always for everything. Do you give thanks when it's not going your way, just like you do when it's going your way? Always for everything. 
See, the overflow of a spirit-filled life is gratitude. Now, I'm not saying that we don't bear each other's burdens. The Bible says to carry each other's burdens, to enter and to mourn with those who mourn. We're called to hate evil, not give God thanks for evil things that are happening. So this isn't some blanket statement, just everything's good all the time. No, it's not fake and artificial. It is the disposition of a heart that trusts God. Listen, when the roots of your faith are deep enough to trust in the soil of sovereign suffering, then the fruit out of your heart will be gratitude and thanksgiving. Do you give thanks? Or when someone gets your ear, like when you give your ear to someone else, do you, do you find them just filling it with, oh, you know what happened? and you know what else, you know what I don't have, and the friends that I wish I had, and where I had to go, and it's just overflowing. That's not the Spirit-filled life. When someone walks in the power of the Spirit, it overflows with this sense of gratitude to God. And not only that, then submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. We're going to see this in marriage and home and how all this stuff orders itself out in society, the spirit-filled life. But is your, the disposition of your heart, is it to trust others? Is it to willingly submit your life to others? God wants this in the church. Jesus Christ himself submitted himself to the Father. We are meant to submit to one another. Now listen, when you hear submission... It's kind of a four-letter word in our context because it's so misunderstood. Submission, it's always voluntary, never forced. This is the free expression of a mature heart. It shows maturity to be able to go, I trust God through your leadership in my life. Whether it's in a home or in a work setting, in a church with leadership, I trust God. I am willingly putting myself under your leadership. I trust God. I don't think you're perfect. No, but I trust him. It is not a statement of worth. It's not, wait a minute, this person's better, smarter. What? No, not at all. It is choosing to go, though my equal in the eyes of God, I place myself on you. My, I am so entrusted to the Lord that he can lead me through the lives of other people. My heart is in a submissive posture. It was modeled by Jesus, by those who followed him. If you want to be shocked by God's word, come in the next handful of weeks and see how then Shocking and yet beautifully and freeing it looks like in the relationship God's put us in. Some people had a reputation of being filled with the Spirit. They don't have any more of the Holy Spirit than you or I do. It seems like, though, the Holy Spirit has more of them. And what I mean by it, it's like they're, the sails are up and they are being blown along. They're, they're talking, they're, they're sharing, they're living, they're laughing, they're enjoying the fruit of the Spirit is coming out of their life. We've seen this in people, right? Like maybe some people come to your mind. We go, man, I think I know one. I think I know one that just seems to walk in the power God gives them moment by moment by moment. The Bible is replete with examples of those filled by the Spirit. Let me just share a couple passages quickly. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, when the gospel needed to spread to all peoples across all nations, look, some of them, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. See, we too need to be filled with the Spirit. So, so when we're standing next to that non-Christian, we go, God would give us words and would give us boldness. And that, what happened in Acts 2, isn't just for a select few. It happened in Acts 4 to the whole church. Look at this. When they felt threatened by sharing the gospel, they came and prayed. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the word of God boldly. See, that's what we need. 
That's what Gainesville needs. That's what UF and Santa Fe need. They need people that are filled by the Holy Spirit. They're not, we're not better. We're just empowered by God to boldly and lovingly show and share the gospel with people. That's what I need. That's what our world needs. Spirit-filled Christians. Acts 6, when they needed some people for a vibrant, critical ministry in the church, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and a bunch of his friends with hard names. What I'm saying is there were people in that context that's like, we know these guys, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. They had a reputation. They walked in the power of God. It's like they would be the ones to choose to do this valuable ministry. That same Stephen, just about to face execution as the first martyr in Jerusalem, it says this of him in Acts 7. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Even in dying, we want to be filled with the Spirit so that we would die well, making much of God to the very end. But there is no greater example of being filled with the Spirit than Jesus Christ, who began his ministry being led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it says of Jesus in Luke 4, then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. How in the world are you going to say no to temptation in this world? How in the world can we say no to our desires and our passions and our lusts and all of a sudden the bangs around us? Jesus shows us. He walked in the power of the Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that is in us. That same power is in us. We are to be filled all the time by it. And this Jesus, he didn't just, oh, great, conquer temptation. No, he just loved in the power of the Holy Spirit, lived in the fullness of the Spirit, preached and taught and cared and fed people, did miracles and healed people, went to the cross in the power of the Holy Spirit, died and rose from the grave in the power of the Holy Spirit and lives to intercede for us. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ has paved the path for us. He showed us what it means. We want to have relationships that mean something. We want to be... We want to show kindness and love. We want to be bold for the gospel. We want to tell our money what to do and not be squeezed in by this culture that says, look, get a bunch of it, retire early, and get put out to pasture with your toys. That's a great way to waste your life. No. We want to listen to what God says. Be filled with the power of the Spirit so that at the end of the race of our lifetime, I don't care how many years God gives you, at the end of the race, you hit the tape at the finish line leaning in. That's what we want. The secret to the spiritual life is the spirit-filled life. The power God put in us, just tap into it. What does it look like? Interestingly, he doesn't tell you. Here's what I've seen. It's full of prayer. People who walk in the power of the Spirit, they're just praying all the time. It's not like, ah, make sure you pray before lunch because God's really big about food. It's, It's more than that. They might pray in the morning. They might pray in the night. They might pray sprinkled throughout the day. In fact, you might just bring something up and they go, you know what? Can we just stop and pray for that? right now. They probably do more than just responsibly pray. They might even set aside times to pray. Being filled with the Spirit is being filled with prayer. These people are big on the Word of God. Interestingly, and I don't have time to show you Colossians 3.16, the parallel passage that reads almost identical. Instead of saying, be filled with the Spirit and do all this stuff, it says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
and speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, sing, make music in your heart for the Lord. It flows almost identical. And then all the relationships, husbands, wives, children, fathers, parents, like employers, employees, all of it reads exactly the same. In one passage, be filled with the Spirit in your life, it looks like this. In this passage, be filled with the Word of God, and it looks like this. What? Yes, both of them. Interestingly, the Spirit of God inspired the Word of God. It would not be shocking that to be Spirit-filled is to be filled with the Word of God. Do you make time to hear from God? People who are filled with the Spirit of God, I've learned, eat more than once a week when they come to church. That's not the only time they're taken in the Bible. In fact, they look a little bit more like I do at a movie theater with my bucket of popcorn. Like, I just, where'd it go? I don't know. Like, people who are filled by the Spirit, they are constantly taking in God's Word. They might be memorizing. They might say, hey, do the memory verses. They might be talking about it. They might be reading it. They might be studying it in groups. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Start by emptying yourself. Start in the daytime. Just go, God, I do have a full schedule. It's true. Got a full schedule. Got a lot of colors in there. You know, it looks like I got a lot of things. Looks like I'm pretty important today. I mean, look, there's just a, the greens and blues and I got it all. Filled with the Spirit goes, God, it's a good guide. I lay my schedule before you. I surrender it to you. You can interrupt it. You can insert things. You can change it. And I'm ready for divine interruptions. I want to walk in the power of your Spirit. And sometimes I can't schedule it. So God, there it is. Spirit-filled, like you want to be spirit-filled with your money? Great, have some good financial plans. Put them on Excel if you like. But here's what I'm saying. Go, it's all yours. What do you want to use, God? You want all of it? You want some of it? I want to be part of what you want to do. It's your money. This is no joke to me. It's yours. Use it as you want. It's just holding loosely on all life. It's emptying my dreams, my desires, my plans. You want to be filled with the Spirit? God, my words. I want them to be used for you. I, I want to say mean things. I want to say, I don't want to share the gospel. I'm afraid. God, use my words. Help me right now. And let's lead and live in the power of the Spirit. And part of the power of the Spirit is this, that it moves people to obey Jesus, no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost. People have been being baptized for 2,000 years now, and sometimes it was the last thing they do before they were killed. And sometimes in prison situations, they walk on out, to be literally baptized in a metal trough like this to the jeers and the shock, mockery of fellow prisoners, but they'll do it because following Jesus is worth it. And today, we get to see people who are empowered by God's spirit who say, you know what, I'm here to obey Jesus. And so